just wanted to kind of remind you where we've been on this journey talking about habits. We said that, that God has, has sets us free, it transforms, gives us new life, and yet so often, even as Christians, we're living the same life over and over again, right? We're living the same year, the same habits, the same addictions. We're having the same fight with our spouse that we've had since the year we got married. Some of us have the same debt so long that we've named it like a pet, right? Capital One, <laughs> whatever. Like we've had that thing with us and we don't know how to get rid of it. The school loans that like last forever, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And our lives look very similar to what they did a year ago or five years ago or before we ever met Jesus. And, and he says that he transforms us, makes us a new creation, gives us life and freedom. And so, and so we started to ask, why is it we're not experiencing that? And what gets in the way? And we named a couple of that first one. We, uh, we said that it starts with the fact that many of us make goals but no plans. Right, so so you come to the new year and you've got your your resolutions and your plan, your goals for how your life is going to be different in a new year, and ninety two percent of those are gone by Valentine's Day, right? Because we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems, our habits, or our plan. And so most of the time we approach something new, we have no plan for how this is going to change in our lives. And we just think, Jesus is just going to fix it all. And we come to Jesus and it's like he didn't fix anything. It's like, God, my circumstances are exactly the same. And we realize he wasn't as interested in changing the circumstances he was changing you in the circumstances and using those things. But we have to have a plan for it. He calls it in one place in the New Testament, working out your salvation. He gives us grace. He gives us this transformation, the kingdom, but he does it in the form of seeds that have to grow, that have to be unlocked and unleashed and transformed in us. And we cooperate with him. And part of it is you got to have a plan for it to happen. It doesn't just happen. The second reason that um, many of us never see the transformation in our lives that we really hope to see is we quit. We quit. How do you spell quit? Yeah, right. I used a different phrasing in the first service. Um, quit, quiet, quiet. I get them all confused. Um, so we quit. Here, here's what, we think transformation. When we start a new habit, we eat a salad, we do a sit-up, we save a dollar. We expect it to change like that, right? But it doesn't work that way. It changes like this. If it probably goes down. No, I'm kidding. It, it changes like this, Right? There's this, all this latent potential that gets built up with every salad you eat, with every exercise you do. And then one day you look back and you say, wow, look how much has changed. And you stay with those small habits just a little bit longer and it changes even more quickly. Right? So these are the, this is the way change happens. But we see this and we start down this road and nothing's changing. Right? Like we said, okay, I'm going to stop going to Middle Grounds or that other coffee place. I'm going to stop going and I'm going to save that money. We do it for a whole month. We save $100. Right, and we throw it on that credit card debt that's been with us forever, and now we don't know thirteen thousand five hundred dollars. We owe thirteen thousand four hundred dollars, and it feels just as impossible as it did a month ago. And we say, "What the heck? I'm going back for coffee. I need some coffee to help me feel better about all that debt." <laughs> right? So that's just what we do. We quit too early. The third thing 
that we have problems with that gets in the way is identity issues, right? It's all about how we see ourselves because however we see ourselves defines the choices we make and then those choices define how we see ourselves, right? It comes, it's like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We tell ourselves, we see ourselves as a disciplined person. We make a disciplined choice, right? And then we reinforce this idea of discipline. I see myself as a strategic person, right? So I make strategies for how I'm going to do things, which reinforces the idea that I'm good at strategy. And, I, and we do this, but we do this in all areas of our lives. One of the great examples that uh, we've shared over the last um, couple of weeks, and, and if you've been here, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again because it works. It just is, is easy to make it clear. So is you maybe say, you know, I'm ready to quit smoking. It's it's a habit I've had for a long time. It doesn't help me. It's not something I want in my life. I'm going to stop. But it's been your habit for who knows how long at break to go outside. So you walk outside, and of course, someone offers you a cigarette. And you have a choice. Most of us would say, no, thanks. I'm trying to quit. And what we don't realize is what we've just communicated is I am a smoker who's trying not to smoke. And our identity is still in this I'm trying not to do something that I am. And that's why we fail over and over and over again. But if we were to walk outside and be offered that cigarette and say, no thanks, I don't smoke. We've communicated something very differently, different to the other person and to ourselves. I am no longer a person who smokes. I am no longer a person who puts junk food in my body. I am no longer a person who ignores the presence of God. I am no longer a person who hits snooze 47 times, right? I am no longer not a morning person, right? We have, we choose something. We remind ourselves of who we are. We make a decision that lives that out and it reinforces it. I am a new creation in Christ. Sin doesn't own me anymore. Grace does. What does that look like? It means I tell the truth when I'd rather lie. And it reinforces I'm a person in Christ, so then the next time something comes up, you act like a person in Christ, and it reinforces that identity. But when our identity is screwed up, our habits are screwed up, and we create the other cycle that becomes just as destructive. Probably the biggest thing that gets in the way of who we want to become is how we see ourselves. And we hear these lies from the time we're kids, like, right? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Who do you think you are? You'll never amount to anything. You know, we, we, then we, we, we obtain these fears along the way, right? And these fears begin to own us, our fear of failure or disappointing or not measuring up, not, not ever meeting someone, any number of things. We get hurt in our past and we're defined as a victim or that problem and that owns us for who knows how long. And we let those identities, those labels, those fears, those lies shape our identity that then shapes our habit and reinforces our identity. And we begin to see ourselves differently when we, when we change who we are. What we need to do becomes easy, right? That's why so often, you, if you've been here a long time, maybe you've noticed this, you go back and listen to the podcast, I talk a whole lot more about who you are, who we are, than I do what we're supposed to do. Because if I can convince you of who you are in Christ, I don't have to worry about what you're doing. That'll take care of itself. Who before what? leads to change. Then we said last week, well, how do we start these good habits? Because it takes these small steps done over and over again while we refuse to quit 
to produce change. We need these good habits. We talked about the habit loop, right? So the habit loop looks the same for good habits, bad habits, neutral habits, all habits. All habits go through this loop. There's a trigger every single time. There's some kind of trigger, right? We walk by the refrigerator. Ooh, there's cake in there. If you don't walk by the refrigerator, you don't think about the cake. Walk by the refrigerator. The alarm goes off. Trigger, hit snooze. Alarm goes off again, hit snooze again. Oh, 10th time, crimp them late. Then you get ready. We jump up, scare the cat, the dog, everyone else in the house, get ready as fast as we can, run out the door, drive late to work, and probably get even later because we've got to take it on the way. Right? And, and then it just escalates from there. So anyway, trigger produces the action, right? And the action has the reward. So the trigger alarm goes off, we hit snooze, the reward, seven more minutes, nine more minutes of sleep. Trigger again, alarm goes off, hit snooze, nine more minutes of sleep, and we keep this thing going, right? And it can happen in any number of ways. So we, we talked last week about good habits and how do we start those and some of that kind of stuff. So we'll get uh, today not just asking who we want to be, but what good habits can we do, but what is it that gets in the way? Because essentially we all have the same goals in life. We all have the same goals in life. We have drastically different results. All of us want to do well at our job, want to be respected, to succeed. I've, uh, I've never met anybody who said, you know, by the time I'm 40, I want to be in debt up to my eyeballs and worry about every single penny every day. And when my spouse buys a coffee, I'm going to say, what? What did you just do? Nobody says that. Nobody says, I want to gain five pounds a year. Until I have diabetes and high cholesterol and I'm on five different medications every day. Right? Nobody, nobody says that I want to be divorced five times by the time I'm 30 because I think that'll really be good. Right? Nobody, nobody has these kind of goals and yet it's the life we see so many living all around us. We're up to our eyeballs in debt. Our marriages stink. We don't know how to talk to our kids. We're afraid most of the time of failure. And we, and we walk through these cycles over and over again. But here's the crazy thing. None of us ruin or destroy or mess up our lives or our relationships or our finances all at once. It doesn't happen all at one time. It happens with tiny little habits repeated over and over and over time. Now, we'll describe it in one sentence, right? We summarize it. She drifted from her spouse had an affair, divorced, she hadn't seen her kids in two years. And we say it like that. You know, he made that one bad investment, which led to other bad investments, and now he's, now he's broken in debt and lost his job and just in struggle. You know, one day he, 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 he just somehow got addicted. And that addiction led to all these other problems and, 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 and now homeless, struggling, whatever. I mean, a stereotype, this is what we do. We take one sentence, summarize all this lifetime or years or season of bad decisions. And if you start to look for them in Scripture, you can find these one-sentence summaries all the time, really positive or really negative. One of the most interesting to me is Samson. He's in the book of Judges. We'll be in just a moment in Judges chapter 16. But Samson is born with more potential than about any other human being of his time. Right From the moment he's born, before he's born, he's going to be set apart for God's use. He's going to have... 
practically superhuman strength. He's going to have leadership, influence, and skill. He's going to be put in charge. He's a judge. He's a leader of the nation of Israel. Right? From the, before he was born, all of this was known. And he dies chained between two pillars with his eyes gouged out, begging God for one little last ounce of strength to do something good with it. How did he get from there to here? Well, you find one of those one-sentence summaries in Judges chapter 16, verse 1. It says, one day, (laughs) one day, one day, Samson went to Gaza of the Philistines and spent the night with a prostitute. And it was the beginning of something. See, what we find out if we dig into the story a little bit is Gaza is the capital city of the Philistine nation, Philistine tribe, whatever you want to word you want to use. The Philistines were the sworn enemy of God's people, the Israelites. Samson, public enemy number one, kill on sight if you can kind of guy. He's just going to walk there. Walk into, walk into town like it's nothing. Walking to the very place where he's hated and his life is going to be threatened. Right? And he's walking there to go meet a prostitute. We keep digging. We find out that Gaza is 25 miles. 25 miles from Samson's home in Zorah. Who walks 25 miles to get some action? Right? Especially with somebody you shouldn't be with anyway. Do you know how many steps 25,000 miles is? I mean, 25 miles? 25,000. 25 miles? 25 miles is essentially 56,250 steps. You probably knew that. 56, you've run that like yesterday. 56,250 small steps from Zora to Gaza. Still, who would do this? Most of us. Most of us, at some point in our life, have taken 56,000 tiny little steps in the wrong direction and found ourselves in a place we shouldn't be, doing something we shouldn't be doing, and ending up somewhere we never thought we'd be. Because we never end up just there, good or bad. It all happens in these tiny Little steps, one after another. One day. (laughs) Do you know in one day, the average person makes about 35,000 semi-conscious decisions? One day, 35,000 semi-conscious decisions. Now, we'll make 40% of them out of habit. We'll do the same thing we did the day before, the day before, the day before. Every little decision is forming us and shaping us. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said that all of our decisions add up, and each one of them are making us more a creature of heaven or a creature of hell. So that when we come to the end of our life, we walk into the very place that we have created ourselves to belong. That's not a direct quote. It's kind of a summary. But every little step moving us in a direction He had 56,000 chances, 56,000 chances to change his direction. If he had taken one step at any point on that path in a different direction, he wouldn't have ended up in Gaza. 
35,000 steps that way, one step to the right by two degrees, and he doesn't end up in Gaza after the next 20,000 steps. One step can change your direction. One step. Every little step matters. Every little step matters. And so that's what we've been talking about habits, because they're the little steps that add up to tell us and shape us into who we will be. Who we are right now is the summation of all those little steps in our lives. So if you don't like where you are or who you are right now, it's time to take a step in a different direction. Just one small step to begin to move in a new direction and you won't end up in the same place. If you keep doing the same things you're doing, you're going to keep getting the same result. So we've asked this question, day one of this series, we stopped and we ended with the question, who do you want to be? Who is God asking you to be? Do you want to be a good father? Do you want to be a godly woman? Do you want to have a spiritual influence with your teenager? Do you want to be disciplined? Do you want to be financially free? Do you want to be sober? Do you want to be emotionally strong? Who do you want to be? Not what do you think you need to do in life. But who do you want to be? Because when we understand who, what takes care of itself? So as we asked that question last week, we came back, we talked about this habit loop. And we asked the question, what is one good habit that you need to start to move you in the direction of who you want to be? One good habit. So then today, we want to ask the question, what's one bad habit? That you need to stop so that you can become who you were created to be. Who you want to be. Just one. Like some of us look at our lives like, I have 47 of them. (laughs) Don't try to tackle all 47. Don't try to tackle 10. The question today, one habit that you need to stop. That will move you in the direction of who you want to be. So before we talk about how to do that. I want, I want to just ask this question, what is it? What might it be for you? Is it pride? Do you have a tendency to bolster up and get defensive? Is it, is it manipulation, control, trying to control all the situations? Is it worry and fear? Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's your screen time. Apple ruined our phones when it started sending us our screen time analysis every Sunday. I'm down 35% from last week, thank you. And our goal is to get under an hour. Uh, but, uh, and there's all kinds of good ways to help you do that. But anyway, screen time, mobile. Maybe, maybe it's social media. You go to that to feel better, deal with things. Maybe it's gossip. I know for you, you're just sharing prayer requests. That's gossip. Maybe it's the way you eat, how you eat, what you eat. Maybe you throw up after you eat. Maybe there's something going on in the eating that needs to change. Maybe it's pornography. Well, that one, how we got quiet. I know. I know, it's so many people. Do you know 11 of the states in the United States have declared it a major health issue? In our country, with almost zero moral compass, we've recognized that it's destroying people and families and homes. Maybe it's time to be done with it. Maybe it's some other substance or tobacco or alcohol. Maybe it's the way you spend money. or Maybe it's your reaction to something. The way you tend to react when something happens. Maybe there's any number of things it could be. Chances are right now you are. 
Like it popped in your head. As soon as we said we're going to stop having it, you're like, Crap. I can't believe he's talking about this. And you knew. It's been circling. Like it's there. Last week, we talked about good habits. You're like, oh, here it comes. He's going to talk about that next week. I'm going to have to stop. You know, <laughs> like, like we're, we're, it's there. You know what it is. So, so let's talk a little bit about how to identify it just in case. Just one piece of advice. One piece of advice. If more than one person that cares about you has ever said this is maybe a problem, it's a problem. If more than one person in your life has said, this, is pro- this may be a problem, it's a problem. It's hurting you. It's hurting your ability to connect. It's hurting your influence. It's hurting your identity. It is hurting you. What will you do about it? So how do we stop it? Last week we talked about good habits and said that if we want to start a good habit that um, we have to overcome the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge of a good habit is that it doesn't feel good at first, right? Nobody wants to get on the treadmill, right? It, it, I mean, and there's some proverbs like only a fool runs when nobody's chasing them. Um, it, it's got to be in there somewhere. Um, but it was a exercise, discipline, getting up on Sunday morning, getting the family dressed and getting here, um, being at life group and committing to it, getting up an extra 15 minutes early, refusing to snooze. None of them feel good at first. Right? The one habit I had, I told you last week, is flossing every night. I'm like 10, 12 days in a row, whatever it is. Nothing feels good about that. And there is no immediate reward to it. Right? The reward will be six months down the road when I go see the dental hygienist. And she's like, wow. And the, <laughs> the reward will be when I die with all my teeth. Like These will be the rewards of choosing to floss every day now. None of them are now. And so you have to find ways to convince yourself to do this because there's no immediate reward. So we make the trigger obvious, set the flossers out on the counter after I get done getting ready in the morning. So they're there when I come in to get ready for bed. And so then the action's easy. You know, two minutes to floss every day is pretty, actually pretty easy. I'm not, you know, asking to get my teeth cleaned every night. It's just, just this simple thing. And um, when we make it obvious, we make it easy. Right? Make it obvious, make it easy. Make the good habit obvious. You want to read before bed? Put the book on the pillow, not in the nightstand where you can't see it. You want to take vitamins every day? Set them on the Put them in front of the coffee. Right? You want to read your Bible every day? Set it on top of the coffee maker, so you got to open it. Maybe you want to make it easy. Start with one verse a day. Not like, I'm going to read a whole book every day or a whole chapter. Just one verse. If you say, well, I want to start getting healthier. I'm going to do 10 push-ups. Can't do 10, do two. Do, can't do two, like fall on the ground and get up. Like you make it easy, right? Make it easy. And it'll lead to better and bigger and more. But start small, something you can actually do every day and stick to. Make it obvious, make it easy. So we want to do the exact opposite to end a bad habit, right? Because when it comes to a bad habit, the triggers are obvious already, and the action is easy, and the reward is immediate. I mean, sin is fun. Let's just be honest about it. Some of you are like, no, no, it's not. Yes, it is if you're doing it right, right? Like if, you're, if you're not having fun, it's you're not doing it right. Sin is fun. So the reward is there. It's immediate. And the, but the, the cost is hidden, right? So trigger, you drive by the bar, pull into here. Go in, you have well, one, two, three, four, five too many drinks, 
right? The reward is you forgot everything that happened that day. And you feel a little bit happy. You dance to the table. You don't even remember what happened. The pain that comes the next day, right? Or the next week. Or when the habit is formed and suddenly you're stopping there two, three, four nights a week and a month, a year, five years goes by and you don't know where they went. And you're not who you wanted to be anymore. The cost came later. And that's the problem with bad habits, right? The joy, the reward is immediate. The dopamine drop is immediate. You don't feel very good about yourself, so you open up your phone, you jump on, uh, uh, binge on some porn, and, and suddenly that dopamine drop hits, feel better, you go on. You don't feel good, you go shopping, spend some money, you feel better about yourself. Then you get the credit card bill the next month, you get paid, you're like, oh crap, right? So it's this, this cycle, and what we have to do is, is, is break it by making the trigger hidden. Hide the trigger, right? You got to hide the trigger and make the action difficult. So let's just say, for example, and I'm not picking on it, but say pornography is the issue, right? And, it, and the trigger is um, late at night after everybody goes to bed, you pick up your phone. So turn off your phone when everybody else goes to bed. Make it difficult. Give someone else your phone and let them set up the restrictions code that doesn't allow you to go to adult sites. So you have to ask them for it anytime you want to go to one of those sites. I bet you don't ask for it. And if you're smart enough to figure your way around it all, buy a dumb phone, right? Because your purity and your family matter more than feeling good for a minute. And we can do this with all of them. Any habit we want to change, we want to end in our lives, right? So driving by the bar is a trigger. Go a different way home, right? Don't drive by there, right? Loneliness, you know loneliness is a habit or a trigger for you and you, you realize, okay, I tend to get lonely on Thursday night because there's nothing going on and nobody around and after about this time it hits and that's when I do something stupid. So you plan something on Thursday nights, Right? You hide the trigger. You know late at night's the issue, so you go to bed early. Stop drinking coffee at noon, whatever it is, whatever you have to stop to make it happen so that you can go to bed and be asleep. Create the coming. Make it, make it, make it hidden and make the action hard or disgusting or difficult, something that you don't want to do because the rewards are there and they're so quick. And dopamine is so powerful in our brain, and it gets released in so many different ways that it has this ability to create a bad habit in us quickly. And it's difficult. It is difficult to overcome them. So you really gotta, you gotta make it hard, and you gotta hide the triggers, right? You gotta make it hard and hide the triggers. So what are the triggers? Most habits are triggered from one of five things. A place... A time, a mood, a moment, or a person or group of people. Those five triggers. Now, let's take it just a minute to kind of unpack that a little bit. Let's start with place and time. We'll put those together to kind of talk about them, right? Because they often go together. For example, you don't smoke in the middle of a worship service in the sanctuary, right? Not the place that triggers it, right? It kind of probably triggers more guilt than it does that. Right? We, don't, we don't eat cake at the gym on the elliptical machine. 
not the place the trigger happens. I know, I, I've heard along the way that a big um, Planet Fitness marketing scheme is like once a month they serve pizza, right? That's for, for, for most of their customers. Do you know this? Like for most of their customers, that's the only time they walk into Planet Fitness is on pizza night. <laughs> They're deducting from your checking account every month and you go for a slice of pizza. That's the expensive slice of pizza. I hope it's good. It's probably Little Caesars. <laughs> no knocking on them. I like Little Caesars. <laughs> so anyway, um, which by the way, if you're paying the gym out of your account monthly, why not do that for church? This actually helps your life, right? Anyway, uh, you don't binge on porn in the middle of life group. I hope not. <laughs> we need to do some work on our life groups. <laughs> Um, so David is a great example. Wrong place, wrong time. Says, says that David, in the springtime when kings go to war, David was at home and went up on the roof. So first off, he was supposed to be with his army at war. And like a big sissy, he stayed home. And then he went up on the roof during his neighbor's bath time. Should have gone back inside. He decided to stay. Right? Wrong place, wrong time. Triggered. I'm the king. I get what I want. Which led to all kinds of other pain for him and everybody else in his family. Right? Wrong place, wrong time. Triggered. Something that he regretted all of his life. And it's the story we still tell about David. We talk about the giant. And we talk about his affair with Bathsheba. Right? We talk about those two things. What do you want people to talk about you? What stories will they tell? Will they tell the story of this time you were in the wrong place at the wrong time? Will they tell the story of how you kept going to the wrong place at the wrong time? Pizza and buffet is my wrong place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> McCall's buffet. We don't, don't go there unless people out of town beg for it. Like, right? So yesterday is Noah's birthday. He turned 12. He's not in here now, but happy birthday, Noah. Uh, so proud of who he is. He had some friends stay the night. He says, Dad, I want to go to Pizza Inn Buffet. Well, sure, let's go. <laughs> I'll eat all three of them combined, thank you very much. And we sick all night for it. <laughs> it's a trigger for me. I just know, don't go there, right? Maybe it's Sweet Frog or McDonald's or somewhere else. There's a food thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's Amazon.com is your um, trigger place. You just need to get off of there, right? Or, or, or maybe, again, late at night. That's where you're triggered. So it, place and time. Know how to avoid the places that are your trigger. When you identify them, it becomes a lot easier to kind of move around them, to recognize the times and not let yourself there. Second is mood. Mood. Often, if we're hungry, we're angry, right? When they got hangry, some of you look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're liars. You are liars. Analyze your spouse. They'll know. Your kids will know. And we get it. Hungry will trigger all kinds of things in us. Right? Uh, angry will trigger. Okay, when I'm angry, we react poorly. We let anger over this thing stay with us. Everyone else feels it. They didn't have anything to do with that thing. Right? It triggers things in us. Lonely triggers all kinds of bad habits for us. Right? So learning when we tend to feel lonely and what we're going to do about it. 
then allows us to overcome these things. Bored, right? We're bored. We get bored at stoplights in 13 seconds. I was looking around at the stoplight because I had my phone out, and everyone else did too. <laughs> we get to a stoplight. We're waiting in line. The McDonald's is low. What do we do? We pull out our phone. Right? We, we got we to gotta do something. And so we can't just stand there bored. Right? We, I mean, we don't even, I, I remember saying I'm bored all the time as a kid. I don't ever hear my kids say they're bored. They should say they're bored once in a while. It's a part of childhood that's important. But it, it can trigger things for us in recognizing what it triggers and what we need to do to not be bored in that moment. Or tired. When I'm tired, I'm a jerk. It's just not good. Or when I'm tired, I oversleep, which then other things don't happen that need to happen, and I end up in a bad place, right? All that. So I've got to get rest. Usually what happens, I run for a while, and then I'm like, ooh, I've been going too hard. I need to take a day and just like sleep, which will be tomorrow. Um, but it, when we change the mood, we can change the behavior, right? When we change the mood, we can change the behavior. The third is a moment, a moment. A moment can last a long time or be quick. Maybe it's a fight. Every time you fight with your spouse or your teen or your kid, you go and do X, Y, Z, right? Because it just makes you feel better and you don't, feel, you don't think about the fight anymore. Maybe, it's, maybe that's when you call someone and complain about your spouse or your kid or your teen, right? It's a moment. Maybe it's, maybe it's at a, when, you're, when, you're, when you're watching a game at the bar with your friends, you don't drink any other time, but somehow you go and you watch a game at the bar with your friends, and, and, and five drinks later, ten drinks later, you're like, man, what happened? It was that moment that triggered. It doesn't happen any other time. Or maybe it's TDY. Mm. Those of you who are not military, TDY is temporary deployments where you are removed from your normal, respons- uh, normal responsibilities, accountability, and systems, and can create the opportunity for stupidity, Right? Let's just, I mean, as we really, as you military know, and every spouse is like, <laughs> right? Bad habits can form. Sometimes good habits form, right? Because of a moment that triggers something new. There are guys who go, gals who go, they go and they, they start working out because they're bored. I mean, they just, they work out more when TDY than they do any other time of the, uh, of, of the regular lives. But it's also the time that a lot of guys and girls get into trouble because of the moment. Do you know, they did this study of, of Vietnam veterans, there was this major, major issue with a very high number of soldiers in Vietnam addicted to drugs. I mean, massive, massive numbers. And they, they created this whole kind of initiative for how to deal with it. And it was pointless because they came back and most of them stopped the addiction without any help. They were removed from all of the triggers, the place, the time, the stress, the moment, the mood that they were in, in Vietnam, was removed. All that was removed. The whole environment where they were, where the addiction existed was changed, and it was no longer even an attraction. Now, it was, that wasn't the case for everyone, but most of them, just by changing the triggers, changed the habit. Powerful powerful reality is our triggers the last is people or a person there are people who can trigger really good things in us we get around them and it brings out the best in us it brings out hope and strength and confidence and joy 
And then there are those people who bring out the worst in us. We only walk into that stupidity with them. There was a study done over the course of 30 years with 12,000 people identifying how these things connected, how people connect. And they found that you will become more like the five closest friends that you have than you will anybody else. In fact, studies show that if one person loses a big amount of weight, that at least one out of three of their closest friends will lose a lot of weight too. We have this influence over one another. We become like the people who are closest to us. Who's closest to you? Do they have the life you want one day? Because that's the one you're going to have. Proverbs puts it this way, walk with the wise and because wise, associate with fools and get into trouble. Who are the fools in your life moving you in the wrong direction, triggering behaviors that you know are not good for you? They're not moving you toward who you want to be, right? Who, who are those people? And should they really be in that inner circle of closest people to you? We were talking a little bit about this with, with Witty last night and about family. And sometimes we feel like, well, family's not a tie. I can break all that easily. But the truth is that when we come to Christ, he gives us a new family. Right? There are family origin issues we inherit that we have to change. The way we deal with conflict, the way we respond to people, the way we think about sex, the way that we handle money, the, the way that we relate to our children. All of those things change in the family of Christ. And he gives us this whole new family. In fact, he gives us all humanity back as a family. And blood may be thicker than water, but if blood is destroying your life, be smart. I'm not saying you've got to cut people out of your life. But you may need to let some relationships drift. Right? Every relationship that's not intentionally maintained will drift. Maybe let some drift on purpose. Because they're not good for you. They're not helping you become who you want to be. I know, that's not a popular thing to say, especially in the South. Or anywhere. Maybe there are some that just need to be eliminated. Because every time you're with this person, it takes you somewhere you don't want to be. It makes you into someone you don't want to be. And you just need to redefine the relationship, set up new boundaries. There's all kinds of different ways to do that. It's impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends close to you. Do your friends have the kind of financial freedom and generosity that you want one day? Do they have the kind of marriage that you want one day? Do their kids turn out the way you want your kids to turn out one day? Do they love and serve and are kind to people the way you want to be? Do they maintain your, their health the way that you want to one day? Right? Are they moving you? Are they leaders? Are they, are they people who, who use their influence for good or lead people into other places? Are there some fools in your life leading you into trouble? Habits take us into the future. They either set up our lives or they sabotage it. Our lives today and all the little habits of our lives 
are shaping who we will be tomorrow. So run out your current set of habits. Good, bad, neutral, right? In five years, in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, where will that set of habits take you? Who will you be if you stay on this path? Does that make you happy? Sad? Afraid? 56,250 small steps in the wrong direction. He only had to take one in a different direction and follow down that path to change his whole life. Right. Call it the butterfly effect, if you will. Scientific study that revealed that the flap of a butterfly wings has the potential to create hurricane-type changes on the other side of the planet over time. Small changes end up with massive effects. You say, but I'm weak. I'm so weak. I, I, I can't do this. Good news is that Jesus says, That in your weakness, my strength is revealed. You are made strong in your weakness. The good news is, he says, you are a new creation in me. The good news is that Jesus said that when I set you free, you're really free. That I came to give you life and life to the full Not broken, repeated, like Groundhog Day over and over and over again. Right? He came as a new way of being. A new way of living. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says that we are more than overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of God. Of your testimony. That on the cross, in his death and resurrection, he has given us the grace to be different, to be transformed. He died to give you life. That in that death, that his grace now owns the ground the grave was in. You hear that? That that I once was defined by my sin, by my bad habits, by this life I was living, but now I am defined, I belong to grace. I have been given new life, new beginning, new hope. And I live into it one little habit at a time. And I surrender the life that once was one little habit at a time. One little habit at a time. But look, as long as it's between you and Jesus, it ain't happening. You say, oh no, he's got the power. He gives me the power. Yeah, he does. Do you know what else he gives you? The person beside you, across the aisle from you, all around you. So I told you a student shared in rally this morning. She shared the story about her time as a high school student. She just she says at school I'm I'm an outcast. I'm quiet. I'm off to the side. Just nerd, whatever words she used to describe herself. She says, you know, when I plan when she first planned to talk about rally, she thought. She loves music. She talked about how music is, is inspirational and powerful. Then she, something happened this weekend that changed things for her. And she was reminded of how things change in her life. You see, she really wanted to be here to meet 
uh, meet Witty and, and to, to be a part of it, but she had commitments to be a part of her choir at school. And so she wasn't going to be able to. And a couple of the other teenage girls messaged her about an hour before she was supposed to go on stage and said, hey, we know you're going to kill it. You're going to be great. We can't wait to hear how it went. And she had to respond, I'm not going to be able to sing. I'm super sick. I'm at home throwing up. And immediately, like five more girls messaged her about how she was doing and asked how she was doing and told her they hoped she got to feeling better, took pictures of the, the, the potential youth pastor to send to her, right? Just wanted to, to build her up. She said she realized just how much the people around her care and that she's not the outcast, that her life is different because of the people who are surrounded her. That she's allowed into her life. That she shared her struggles and her story with. You see, for her last year, she's used this idea of chasing lions. I gotta go chase a lion into a pit and kill it. I'm gonna go chase my fears down. And she's told her friends, this is what I'm trying to change in my life. And they've encouraged and uplifted and walked with her in it. She had never told them, they'd never know. And they wouldn't have been there then to support You see, the system of support is right around you, all around you in this room. We often don't experience it because we don't tell anybody what we're dealing with. We don't tell anybody about the habit we're trying to overcome or the habit we start. It's just between us and Jesus, and we wonder why it doesn't happen, why it doesn't stick, because nobody knows. Nobody's there. So we become overcomers. We overcome this sin just by being a little smarter, right? You just got to be smarter than the sin, Make, hide the trigger, make the act hard, and tell somebody what you're trying to do. And just say, hey, can I text you every day with just a word? Yes or no? I did it or I didn't. But here's the thing you got to do. Like, there's a responder. You, if, they, if you get a yes, like I screwed up today, you respond, that's okay. You got the rest of the day. Finish strong. Because what happens to us? You know, you know, you ain't bad at lunch. Well, now I'm going to have a milkshake on the way back to the office and dinner screwed up. Well, now the whole week screwed up and, and we'll start on Monday. I mean, next month, I mean, the next, I mean, you know, and we just get right back into where we were. And it happens with all kinds of habits, all kinds of patterns. So we become overcomers by the grace of God, the blood of the Lamb, the one who died to give us the life we were meant to live, and by the word of our testimony. By the way, we tell the story to someone who walks it with us. And then we overcome a small habit at a time. So imagine your life 10 years from now. Right? 10 years from now. 10 years from now. And you start one small habit every year for those 10 years. And you stop one small habit. Right? For 10 years. You got a 20 point turnaround. Your life is 20 good habits different in just 10 years. And the first year, it's not going to feel like much. I'm going to floss for a whole dang year, and uh, who cares? But then I'll learn that I am disciplined, and I can do things that I don't want to do because they're good for me. And I'll add another good habit next year. And bit by bit by bit, our lives are transformed. We work out our salvation. We become more and more the creatures of heaven we were created to be creatures of the kingdom of God, those who live with love and generosity and hope and strength and freedom, one little step at a time. So what? 
one little thing, not 12, not 10, not 5, not 2. What one little thing do you need to stop doing so that you can become who you want to be? And you know what it is. It's been circling in your brain the whole message long. It's been in your heart. He's been speaking it to you. You know. Because two or three people said something in the last week, month. Like it's time. Today is your day. Just start. Go home and hide the trigger. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to be invited to the table. Each Sunday during Lent, we come to this table as a reminder of the grace we have in Him. That in His death and resurrection, grace now owns the place where the graves lived. Right? Grace is greater than our sin, is greater than our fear, greater than our doubt, greater than our weakness. In His grace, we find the strength to be who we were created to be. It's no, it's, it's no obligation, it's just pure invitation. And He invites us to come to Him. And He says, I will give you this grace, I will give you hope, I will give you peace. I will begin to work in your life. Your response is faith. To believe it's possible and to act on that belief. And today that challenge is just stop one little habit. A commitment. To stop the habit and tell someone. I'm going to pray and then all who would like to come, like I said, pure invitation. Invited to come to the center aisle and you can go to either side. Break off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Need it. You'll hear the words, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ spilt for you because these are the only things that really change our lives. They are the things that set us free and give us life in this life and into the next. So let's pray.